Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, our friend Hannah Stevens brings us a message where we look at how to unify our lives when it comes to our work and our schools. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Hannah. Good morning. My name is Hannah Stevens, and I work at Western Theological Seminary. Um, And my husband and I and our children have been attending South Harbor for a few years now. Um, And sometimes you let me preach. So thank you. (laughs) Um, We are in this series called Undivided. And it's very different than series that we usually do here. Usually we like, at least in my experience, we like get into a book and we're in it for like a long time. And we talk about like all the things, the context, and we kind of move slowly through this uh, book for like a year. Um, But right now we're in this series where rather than doing that, we're actually just looking at various aspects of our lives. And we're asking, what is a biblical framework for how we think about these different areas that we have that require different things of us, that we have responsibilities in? And we've talked about our relationships, our relationships in parenting, our friendships, what we might think about in our neighborhoods. And today, we are going to be talking about what does it mean to have a biblical framework for our interactions at work or at school? And I think it's great that we are talking about this because this is a big chunk of our lives. Um, We will spend, on average, one-third of our lives, 90,000 hours, at work. Um, we will, this is the thing that other than sleeping, you will spend more time doing this in all likelihood than any one other thing. And if you add to that school, you've got another 19,320 hours from kindergarten to 12th grade, and then 5,760 hours if you decide to go to college. And like, I'm not even going to factor in grad school. It's a lot of our life. Like, this is a really important question. This time that we spend, many of the hours that we have on this earth are in this area. And when we're talking about work, we're talking about work in your home, work outside of your home, um, the productive hours in which you have some, something you're responsible to, whatever that looks like. And when we're talking about school, we're talking about school that you chose, maybe you're studying for a degree that you're excited about, or maybe, like my children, you just have to go. <laughs> you don't have a choice, right? We're talking about that space of our lives. And so in that, I have a potentially depressing question for us today. Does it matter? Does that thing that we give so much of our time and life to matter? Like, we know we have to do it, right? We know that there's like, we need to make money. <laughs> we, need, we need to have this productive space. But like, is there more to it than that? For me personally, um, I have many days where it feels like, you know, uh, Sisyphus, He's in the myth, he is condemned by Zeus to have to push the boulder up the the mountain, 
right? And like his punishment for all eternity is that he will push this giant boulder up a mountain. And just as it's about to get to the top, it'll roll back down. And he's got to do it again. And I have many days that feel like that. I don't know if you feel that way, but I have many days where I'm like, man, it feels like nothing I do stays done or nothing I do makes a difference or an impact. And I will tell you the four years that I was home with my children and did not work outside the home, that was the most boulderish years of my life. (laughs) Maybe some of you can relate. You go to bed each night knowing that everything you did that day needs to be redone the next day. And it's really hard to see like, where, where is this going? What's the point? What's the meaning in this? Um, I have this phrase that I use um, where I say, I'm feeling just very ecclesiastical today. And by that I mean, you know, the phrase in Ecclesiastes that keeps getting repeated, meaningless, meaningless, it's all vapor, nothing matters under the sun. So I'm like, yeah, I feel just very like that today, which I know Super dorky, she definitely works at a seminary thing to say. Got it. But maybe you have something like this. Maybe you have a similar way of seeing your days sometimes. Maybe sometimes you wake up and you're like, I gotta go to work today. I gotta do it again today. And I think some of us think that other professions don't have this problem. Like there is, if I just did something else, then I would know that my work is meaningful. Um, then, I, then I would have a lot more like just richness in my life, like the medical field. This is something that people often will talk about. It's like, if I was in the medical field, I know I'd be going to help people every day. How could I not know that my work has meaning, right? Like that is my job. But I'm married to someone in the medical field and I have lots of friends in the medical field And I know that they have these same experiences of pushing a boulder up a hill. Does it even matter? There's all these people that I'm literally just putting a Band-Aid on. And figuratively, we're just putting a Band-Aid on this problem. And we're not really helping. And some people don't even want to be helped. Or maybe teachers. Like, in that profession, I would have meaning in that profession. And teachers are great. How can you not think that what they do is meaningful? They, like, shape the youth of our country, right? And how many teachers do you know that just feel like they can't teach and care for their students in the way that they want to? That it just feels like, does anything I do matter or make a difference in these lives? But maybe pastors, maybe people in ministry or people who work at a seminary, what they do, that matters, right? There is significance in what they're doing. Well, as someone who works at a seminary, And basically, my job is talking with pastors around the country throughout the week. There is some serious amount of feeling like you're pushing a boulder up a hill, and that it doesn't even matter, and you're not even making a difference. And what is the point? And school has this too. Um, Kids even get this. Maybe your children or some of the children here, like you love your school, but there is a phrase that my kids tell me about their school. I think it like goes around their school. Um, and they tell me school. It stands for seven crummy hours of our lives. <laughs> Thank you, children. <laughs> Last Thursday night, 
I didn't tell him I was going to tell a story, but my son at the dinner table said, you know, like, it's about 25% of what we learn at school is actually useful, and, like, only about 10% of that I didn't already know. It's like, okay. We get this. We want, stay, we want the things that we're doing, that we're spending all this hours doing to matter. We want it to mean something. And sometimes we have a really hard time knowing, like, what, what's the point? There's actually, but we're longing for it. We, we know that there should be more. And there's um, a study that was published in the Harvard, Harvard Business Review about, like, how many people are just longing for more meaning at work. And they made this statement. More than 9 out of 10 employees, we found, are willing to trade a percentage of their lifetime earnings for greater meaning at work. Across age and salary groups, workers want meaningful work badly enough that they're willing to pay for it. We're longing for it. And our culture does not have a meaningful story about work. Like, maybe America did at one point. Maybe there was like, we're going to build a nation together, and like, let's get behind that, and it matters. But like, the best I can think of when I look around now is like, make money so you can buy stuff, and like, go on vacation, and like, someday you can retire, and like, enjoy that for a little bit, and then die. Like, here's our grand story of how we're spending all these hours. There's got to be something more. And I'm not here just to depress all of us. Um, I actually think there is a point. I think that we have really good news. Because even though culture does not give us a grand story, I actually think our scriptures invite us into one. So we're going to look at today. So there's good news, even for my kids, who think those seven hours wasted. Not. We're going to get there. All right, we're going to look at Genesis 1, 1 through 10. Right to the beginning of our scriptures, many of you are probably familiar with this. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said... Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. So what's happening? This is the beginning of our scriptures. What is being described here? Any thoughts? This is God at work. The very first worker of scriptures is God. The very very first work that gets done is done by God. So if that's true, and it is, we're actually told in Genesis 2 what God was doing at the end of this. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all this work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Scripture even tells us this is God at work. This is how we open our story, God doing something in the world. So then the question I have, which I think would help us with our question about meaning in our work, is does God's work matter? Does it have meaning? Now, none of you are going to tell me no, because we're at church, and clearly the church answer is like, yes, of course. We can't say God's work doesn't matter. But just think about it. Does God's work matter? If you think yes, why? What is it about the way that God gets to work that makes it meaningful, that makes it matter? Let's look a little bit more closely at what it looks like when God is at work. Um, I actually preached on this text a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, um, on Genesis 1 and 2. And as I was preparing this, I realized, like, oh, I've come to this text with very different questions before, which this is like just a side note for free. Um, That is the beauty of Scripture. We can come back to a text over and over and over again and find something new every time. I think this is what Paul was talking about. All scripture is God-breathed. The depths of scripture amaze me. And I can come back to it again and think I know everything it has to say to me and then be surprised. And I think there's no end to that. When we looked at this before, though, I wanted you to come to this text without whatever like, assumptions you have about it. Um, whatever ways that you've already experienced it, to try and say, like, what new thing might be here? And I'm going to ask you to do that again today. One of the ways that I want you to think about this is I want you to try and picture it. What image is being described for us in this text? It goes like this. Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-main. But et ha'aretz. In a beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Vaha'aretz ha'ita tohu vavohu. But the earth was tohu vavohu. <laughs> but the earth was formless and void. It didn't have shape, it didn't have order. Vachoshech al pane. To home. And darkness was over the face of the deep. The Ruach Elohim Merahefet Al Panei Hamaim. And the spirit or the wind or the breath of God was hovering over the waters. So stop. What do you see? Hold that image. There's waters and breath or wind that's hovering. There's the deep. The earth is there, but not formed or ordered, but it's all just there. And it kind of feels like it could be there for eternity. It could just exist like that. There's no conflict that's happening right there. It's just kind of this peaceful scene. Scripture opens with this very peaceful scene. 
the Spirit of God is there, the waters are there, like, this could just be a vacation. (laughs) And it could just keep going. But it doesn't. It gets interrupted because God decides to get to work. God decides to do something in that space. And what does God do? God starts bringing order, starts organizing the space, giving boundaries to the water and to the land, starts bringing beauty into the space, bringing animals and people into the space. And for who? For whose benefit? Who does God do that work for? Because God could stay in, this, in that first scene, right? God could exist hovering over the water forever. That would be perfectly fine with God. But who can't hover over the water with God? You and I, and the animals, and the birds. God gets to work bringing order and beauty into the world to share it with us. Not because God needs it, but because we need it. And I think this framework, this foundation that our scriptures open with is the invitation to us when we think about our work. What does it mean to think about our work in these terms? It's what God invites Adam into in the garden. Right after all this, God puts Adam in the garden. It says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it or to subdue it or to cultivate it, different translations would say. The idea here is if we just let the garden go wild, it will not be best for the most thriving of the most life. We actually need to like prune some of these things. We need to work it so that we can create some order in the garden and create the ability for there to be life in the garden. This is what humanity was invited into. And of course, that is why it is so tragic that when humanity makes the decision to eat from the tree, and an animal has to die to provide food for them or clothing for them, right? It's the, like, the work of humanity was supposed to be to cultivate life and to share it with others, but actually brought death. The, the design that God had for work got thrown out. Now, I know that this is still like kind of abstract. Like, okay, cool, Hannah. Like, we should think about bringing order and beauty and sharing that with others in our life. But it's the foundation. I think it's a starting place to say, like, maybe we can start there. And, and then let's think a little bit more about today and our lives, right? We're going to jump to the New Testament. And we're going to do something that I normally am very annoyed at when pastors and preachers do it. <laughs> However, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to do it. We're going to look at a passage from Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to like take this very contextual text to a f- specific group of people in for a very particular reason, and we're just going to let it speak to us. But we're going to do that because this text is to the church in Corinth. That church was made primarily up of Gentiles, so non-Jewish believers who had decided to follow Jesus, but they were very shaped by the culture in Corinth, which was an economically thriving place, and they didn't have the Jewish background. They were formed by this culture, and I think, though different, you and I are formed by a very economically thriving culture, 
And in a lot of ways, we still live out of what that has told us about how we engage work, how we engage our lives. And Paul is writing to this church, trying to remind them of something that's true about them. Trying to say, you are still living as if you were part of the other Gentiles in Corinth, but you're not anymore, and you need to be reminded of this. And so I think if Paul were here today, he might say something similar to us here at South Harbor. Here's what he writes, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Skipping down to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Again, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. I know many of us have heard these words before, and maybe they feel like, yeah, okay. But like, it's actually very significant. Like, you are a new creation. You are part of God's new world bursting into this one. You are part of the plan for this world to be made new. If you are in Christ, that is what you are. That is what you are being invited into. And I wonder, I don't think we think about that when we go into our work and get into our regular routines. That like part of what we are doing here is we are invited to be part of God's new creation in this world. We are not to be formed just like everybody else, all the Gentiles around us, by this culture. We are to be formed and shaped and live like something else. We are a new creation. We are part of what God is doing in this world. And I think that's what this whole series has tried to get us to think about. We're in this series called Undivided. And the reality is, you and I live very divided lives. Like, maybe some of you out there have figured this out, but I know that I have a hard time. Because there are all these things that require something of me, and they require different things of me. My job and my boss has some expectations for me, and my kids have expectations for me, and my spouse has expectations for me, my friends have expectations for me, and my neighbors have expectations for me, and all of these things. We spend a lot of our lives switching gears to please the people around us, to pick up those responsibilities, to do what we have to do in that sphere that we're in. Kids in school, I know that you are switching gears to do what your parents want, what your friends want, what your teachers want. It is not an easy thing, and it is easy to feel divided, like we're split in all these different elements of who we are. But I think the root of how the framework that we're thinking about this in comes from something that Tim talked about in the fall, probably very intentionally leading up to this series. If you were here, he talked about how the early church um, did not call themselves Christians. They, that was a name that was put on them, but they did not identify themselves as Christians. They called themselves disciples. They were disciples of Christ. 
which meant that they were emulating Christ. They were following Christ. They wanted to be like Christ. They were serving Christ. Every area of their life, that is what grounded them. And I think the invitation of this series for you and I is how do we think about each of these things that usually divides us and anchor it in our understanding of what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? When I go to work and talk to my boss, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? When I talk to people I supervise, what does it mean for me to be a disciple of Christ? When I interact with other pastors or people who really annoy me, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? In school, with my classmates, what does that mean? It's something that's meant to anchor our identities, to give us a place to say, like, we can be wholehearted in our lives, even though we have all these different things that pull us in different directions. If we can start, start to say that the first thing that's true about us is we are children of God. We are disciples of Christ. And that brings consistency to what does that mean to live it out in each area. But I'm always coming back to this anchor. I am a child of God. I'm a disciple of Christ. And you know what I am? A new creation. And I'm part of showing this world that God is making all things new. So how do I do that today? And I think this identity piece is really important, particularly with work. Because with work, we link that to who we are. We use it in our language, like, I am a teacher. We use being language. This is who I am. I am an engineer. I am a business owner. This is who I am. And it's not just us that puts the identity on ourselves. Other people put it on us as well. They make assumptions about who we are and what we're like and what our skill sets are based on the job we do. I had this experience. Um, shortly after I graduated from college, I went to Hope College. Um, I went for a job that I thought would be so great for me, and I hated it. And so shortly after I graduated from a four-year college, I was waitressing. I was waitressing at a place called Marie Catrebes in downtown Grand Rapids. And to this day is one of my favorite jobs I have ever had. I worked there for five years. And I had this experience early on in which a family came in that was like all Hope gear decked out. Like the mom had the Hope mom sweatshirt, the dad had the hat, the teenage 18-year-old boy probably has his Hope gear on, and they sit down at my table, and I go up and I'm like, welcome, I'm your server, do you go to Hope? <laughs> and the mother beams with pride, looks at her son, and he responds, yes, I'm a freshman, I just started, it's orientation weekend. And with all my enthusiasm, I said, great, me too. Their faces dropped. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, I am their server. And I just told them that I graduated from the very expensive four-year college that their son just started at. And I wanted to say, oh, it's okay, I really love my life. But I didn't. I was like, well, I'll give you some time with those menus. <laughs> right? We don't get to control how other people see us and the roles that we're in. And five years after that, my very next job was at a church, a big church. 
And I used to go to conferences with people who were highly respected. And they wrote books, and people listened to them, and people started listening to me. And they thought I had good ideas, and they wanted to know what I thought about things. And people would call me a pastor. And I kept thinking, I'm the same person that I was when I was a server. I'm the same person, but being treated very differently. And then after that, I was home with my kids for four years and not working outside the home. And like, that is a whole other thing when people are like, what do you do for work? And you're like, well, I change diapers. But like, I still really think deeply about things and I care and I, 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 I might have some opinions and ideas that'd be, nope, okay, thanks. Right, it's another space that you're like, I can't control how people see me in this space. And now I work at a seminary, and I can't control how people see me when I say that, that I work at a seminary, what thoughts they have about me, what assumptions they have about me. But when I look back over all these things, I see that there were skills that were being developed in me, there were passions that were being drawn out of me in each of these spaces, that God was calling me to something in each of these spaces, the same thing that, lo- that made me love my job as a waitress, where I got to sit with people and learn their stories and see the same regulars come in, and I would learn about the line chef and what's going on in their life and the person who cleaned the dishes and the relationships that we had. The same thing that made me love that is the same thing that made me love being a pastor. And the same thing that, on the days that I loved it, made me love being with my kids. Hi, kids. Love you. And it's the same thing I draw on in the seminary. In all of those spaces, there were opportunities in which God was calling me to be a new creation in that space, to show the people around me that God is making this world new. Every one of those spaces had that opportunity. And every one of those jobs had days where I felt like I was pushing a boulder up the the mountain, right? Every one of those days, there were days where I'm like, what does this matter? The difference wasn't the job. The difference was how I showed up to it. And I think for some of us in this room, when you start talking about work, you're going to have this like thought, like, should I get a different job? And maybe yes. Maybe the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart right now where you're like, you know what? In my job, I can't bring order and beauty into the world, and I can't share that with people, and I can't do that for the benefit of others. Like, I I don't know how to do that. Maybe there's some of us that the Holy Spirit is nudging you towards something new. But I think for most of us, it's not that. I think for most of us, the question that we can wrestle with is, what does it mean to show up to the places I already am, recognizing that I am a new creation, and I am meant to be here as a disciple of Christ, showing the world that God is making all things new. What would it look like to show up to our work and our school a little bit differently? And to consider that maybe the interactions we have have eternal significance. And just like a quick note here, For those of you who are in school, I don't think school is just like added on here. Like you can be like, yeah, okay, we're talking about work, we should probably talk about school too. 
But seriously, if there is a place that has eternal significance, possibly, it is middle school. Do you know, if you are a kid in this room or a parent of someone in school, those interactions that you have, the relationships that you form, the people you exclude, the people you invite in, the kind words you say, the hard words you say, they will stay with those people for decades. I can't tell you how many people have come to me with the story that happened in middle school. You have, if you recognize it, the ability to have a significant impact in your schools. And it won't be seven, whatever it was, hours of our life. <laughs> seven crummy. Okay. That's the, that's the invitation, I think, to say... We could go into the spaces that we already are, and we could have a different view of what we are being invited into. And perhaps there really is something bigger happening in our very common workplaces, and that God is trying to bring something new, and in inviting us to become part of that. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you for the work that you've given each and every one of us to do. I thank you for the spaces that you have us in. I pray that you would teach us how to live into being your new creation as you make this world new. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we wanna wish you a blessed week.